Music, dance, theater. It's time to take a seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez. Hear from performers, producers, presenters, and creators who enrich our lives in the performing arts. Who's on stage? Here is Tom Alvarez to introduce you. Hello, and welcome to On the Isle with yours truly, Tom Alvarez. My guest today is violinist extraordinaire Kevin Lynn, who has received international acclaim for his musicianship. Concertmaster of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, Lynn is recognized for his virtuosity and soulful playing. Now, let's go on the aisle to join my wide-ranging conversation with this gifted artist. I thought I'd have to choose between an IT degree and certifications until I found WGU. There, I earned both through one program. WGU prepared me to earn certs from CompTIA and others at no extra cost. WGU IT bachelor's and master's degrees have no set class times. Rather, students progress at their pace, completing as many courses as they can each six-month term. I graduated faster, and you could too. Learn more at wgu.edu. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Kevin, what a pleasure it is to have you with me. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. So I want to dedicate this program to our dear friend and your colleague, uh, Marianne Williamson, who passed away uh, last July. Uh, I miss her terribly. I know that you and many of her uh, compatriots at the ISO and her many, 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 many friends and in uh, Indiana, around the world. And uh, so I thought it would be fitting. So tell me about your own experience with Marianne. Oh, my God. I um, I had the pleasure of meeting her for the first time. I remember I started the job at the ISO. Um, must have been right during the pandemic, because I remember one of the first time I met her, it was during a music director search committee meeting. And I walk into this meeting. I know Katie McGinnis is the artistic director at the time. She's the only person I knew. I walked into this room and there were eight or nine of us and Marianne just happened to be one of them. And she was this, I clearly not a musician. She was a little bit older than the rest of the orchestra. Um, but she was just spewing out so much knowledge about conductors and composers. It's like, okay, she, is she a music <laughs> historian? Is she like, she clearly knows way more than the common person. Um, and was going into so much depth about each and every topic. Um, and that's, that, that was the first time I got to meet her, to, to, to meet her. Um, and so throughout the years, you know, we, we, we got to know each other quite well. She was always very nice. I, I saw her, I saw her at concerts and we always chit chatted and talked shop about conductors we liked and conductors we didn't like. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we created a pretty nice friendship that way. And for those who aren't aware of who Marianne Williamson was, of course, she was uh, on the board of trustees for the ISO. She herself is a Harvard-trained concert pianist. Uh, she also wrote the spectacular, brilliant program notes yes. that educated me for years. That's right. That's right. And she took so much pride in, in writing each and every one of those. And, you know, most importantly, she... She shared with me many, many times about how much she loved musicians and the musicians of ISO, that she had deep friendships with many of them. Right. Right. And I know that it really was a loss. Later on in the program, uh, you know, you're going to play something uh, for us that you performed at her memorial service, but that's later. So in the meantime... Okay, I'm sitting here and it's just like, I'm like, I can't believe it's a rarefied experience to be sitting just feet away from a, a virtuoso. I, I've reviewed your concerts many times 
And I've always made reference to how your playing makes me feel. It's visceral. And you've been called a soulful violinist. Mm. Where does that come from? I don't... I, you know, I, I, I have a... I, I think I have a very interesting view and philosophy on, on music. It's It's easy to kind of read the music off the page and play it for exactly the note worth if it's a quarter note you play it for a quarter note um but i i I, i've always thought about it a little bit different i've in in a way where the music on the page is basically a guideline it's the composer trying to dictate what he has he or she may be hearing in her head into something that you can count out mathematically and when you try to translate that to emotions and how people feel, it doesn't necessarily always correlate or translate that way. And so I read the music in a way where it's like, okay, I understand what this person's trying to do. Now I have to play it in a way that's not mathematical, but makes sense emotionally. And I feel like that's the biggest difference between a very good violinist and let's say, you know, like the great artists out there today. And that's, that's something that I've, I've always admired, you know, throughout my studies, seeing great teachers. I studied with Aaron Roseanne myself, and he was always a stickler on rhythm. Yes, obviously, it's very important, but, you know, it's, it's, it's always music first. You have to play it in a way where it really speaks to the person, and it's not just a, a math ex- exercise, per se. Mm-hmm. It's expression, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how is it uh, relatable to, say, theater, drama? <laughs> well... I think the, the the people who who major and and do theater and drama day in day out they kind of they they put a lot of emphasis from this in the beginning. You know, when when we're trained as violinists, we're trained to count out quarter notes. You know, it's it's a very literal mathematical approach to to learning the violin. And there's techniques, you know, bow direction and all this kind of stuff. That's 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 not very <laughs> that's not very expression forward. Um, and so I think once you acquire enough technique you have to start taking a cue from you know the singers and the the people who on broadway and all the, all the actors who literally are masters at conveying human emotions and that's mm-hmm. something that we have to master as musicians ourselves to kind of reach that next level well you know part of this rarefied experience that i'm having right now is also you know to hear hearing you play that vivaldi piece you know spring is right around the corner so i thought it would be appropriate (laughs) and you know you whip out this stradivarius tell me about that tell me about your instrument yeah i would love to uh so uh, I, was, I was very lucky to be based here in Indianapolis, and obviously we have an incredible vi- international violin competition. And um, as one of the um, – the, the violin basically goes to whoever wins the violin competition, and the competition happens every four years. And Serena Huang actually just so happens to have an incredible violin on loan to her already. And so she doesn't necessarily need this violin. And so Glenn Kwok, who's – the executive director of the competition has very graciously lent me the violin for the next four years. Violins need to be played on, you know, like it's, it's a living and breathing piece of wood. And if it's, you know, locked away in a, in a cellar somewhere in an office somewhere, it kind of closes it up, closes up and it clamps up and you can really hear the difference if someone hasn't really played into the violin for a while. So Mm -hmm. I like to think that I'm helping the IVCI, but I I'm sure, you know, it's definitely mutually beneficial for me to, to have this violin. Well, I asked you when you when I met you in the lobby here at the station, uh, you know, if you had an armed guard <laughs> accompanying you. Well, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> and you didn't. <laughs> I, I I didn't. I I, I try I try to stay you know under the radar, especially with stuff like this. Sure. You know, I leave it in. I don't leave it at the house. I I, I keep it in a very secure location. You know, there's you know, and and mm-hmm. when when I was. When I was loaned this instrument, I had to speak to the the insurance company, and they were asking me all these questions about where I'm going to be keeping it, where do I, how do I travel with mm-hmm. it, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. there are so many checkpoints in place. To well, I have so many uh, questions about the instrument itself. Yeah, please, but we got well. One thing, okay, what was the year again? It's, uh, it was, uh, it was, was made, made in 1683. So it's, and it's, it's a, marked on the. It is marked in the oh, in the violin. So there's a little label that Stradivarius signed inside. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this thing is old. And how many owners do you know? Oh my God, I I can't even count dozens. Oh. But the provenance of this violin is is insane. It's, you, it's, yeah, 
Seems to me, wasn't that on the plot of uh, Red Violin? The Red Violin was about a Stradivarius violin. Yeah. Uh, not as not not specifically yeah. this one, but uh, about uh, the, its history. Uh, about its history, and Elizabeth Pitcairn is is a violin virtuoso who actually owns the Red Violin right and now. So. Joshua Bell, Indian in Indiana Jacobs School of Music graduate, yeah. who's played the, the music in the film. I believe are so. A, yes, that's are you right. a fan? That's right. I am a huge fan of Josh. <laughs> I'm a huge fan, and of yeah. the movie too, right? And and the movie too. Yes. So your own violin has an incredible sound. May we hear some more of it? That was exquisite. What was that? Thank you. That was the Adagio from Sonata Number no. 1 by J.S. Bach. So we better get on to talk about the ISO. Please. How long have you been with the uh, orchestra? Uh, th- three to four years now. I okay. came here during the pandemic, March of 2020. And uh, tell me about your audition. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to bring it back a little bit. So I, I started, I graduated from the Curtis Institute in 2017 and I was very lucky to get a job with the London Philharmonic, uh, right out of school. So I started in London, uh, August of 2017. And as soon as I landed there, I was, it was, it was an amazing time. I, I had, you know, made great friends. The people at the LPO are incredibly friendly, um, but it was a different world, you know. You move, you, you up and move to a different country. You don't know anybody there. The currency is different. The cur- the the lifestyle is different. The culture is different. And so I, as soon as I moved there, even though I enjoyed living in London, I was extremely homesick. So as soon as I got there, I was kind of looking for a way back to the states. All my friends were in various U.S. orchestras. My family's still in New Jersey. And so I uh, immediately started reaching out to some of my friends that were in various U.S. orchestras. And Austin Huntington happened to be one of these friends that I went to school with. Um, and so Austin, at, at the time, Zach was still here, so obviously there wasn't an opening. But as soon as as soon as soon there was, Austin put my name up um, to be considered for, for the concert master job. And so maybe I was at maybe my second year of with the London Philharmonic when I got a call from Katie McGinnis. Uh, so I was in London. I got this call on my on my on my british phone from a us number and as soon as i picked up it was a you know it was it was it was a, it was a lady with 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 essentially an accent that i'm very familiar with so i know i was like very i was waiting for like an american accent to to speak to me from the other side and it happened to be katie mcginnis um asking if i wanted to do a guest week and that's kind of how everything started and through various guest weeks here and a concerto performance with Tchaikovsky and, you know, talking with Christoph Abransky. Um, you know, it was about a, a year, year and a half process before they, they finally offered me the job. And and you played for him, for Christoph and for others, Christoph. or just Tim alone? For Christoph, I also played a week with Jack. Um, mm. 
and then at the end obviously i had to do a do an audition i did an audition in front of I, I believe the whole orchestra was was uh, was invited to it, but I was too scared to look out. So I Not wasn't, too I, much I wasn't pressure. looking at who was out there, but uh, there was an audience for sure. Was it, always, was it the kind of experience you always thought it would be like when you were a student? To, you mean auditioning? Yeah, or? auditioning for that kind of that yeah. yeah. You know, auditions are weird. Do they prepare I, you for auditions? In some ways, you know, like they, they make – I've, I've done – a number of international violin competitions and I've always found those to be slightly more stressful. Oh. And so when I do orchestra auditions, it's not, I don't feel like I'm competing against the, you know, the top of the top of, 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 you know, of classical music right now. Um, it's, it's kind of a different skill set. So it's, it, to me, it's, it didn't stress me out as much. So did Austin fill you in on the orchestra and indie and all of that? Give I you a so. primer before yeah, yeah, you even showed up? Yeah, of course. No, he, okay. you know, there, there wasn't, I mean, everyone is extremely lovely. And, you know, this yeah. orchestra gets along incredibly well, which is quite rare for symphony orchestras these days. Well, you know, I'm, I, I have a lot of questions about that culture. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, how's, how's the experience been thus far? Oh, incredible. The last four years? Incredible. This is I thought London Philharmonic was very friendly. I think this is I apologize to the London Philharmonic, but slightly slightly friendlier. Maybe it's 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 something that I'm familiar with. You know, it's the American lifestyle. Um and also it's an extremely young group of people. So we mm -hmm. still hang out as if we're college grads, but we have, you know, a little bit of a, adult money now, so we can actually hang out on the weekends. Well, um, you know, I I uh I've noticed that the, within the last couple of years, you know, I've been covering the ISO for many years and yeah. I've noticed the shift. There are a lot of young new yes, faces. Definitely. Is that due to retirements? We had a number of retirements uh, even before COVID, but especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then COVID kind of made a whole, made a stop in the whole hiring process because we just couldn't get people in. And do all of, all of the, your, your young colleagues bring a fresh vitality? Oh, to, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, and tech it's playing, playing the violin, for example, is, is kind of like a sport. We're definitely, mm -hmm. we have much more dexterity when we're younger. We're able to play a lot more accurately. You know, people are, are at the top of their game because they just graduated from school. So these, these people tend to be the ones who are winning the auditions right now. And, you know, my next question is, what is your estimation of its current artistic quality? I think, I think on a technical level, we're extremely high. I wouldn't, I, I you know, I, I would put us up there with, with any other U.S. orchestra right now. I think we have a lot of culture and tradition that we need to learn and bring to the orchestra just because we're such a new and young orchestra right now. But for, from a technical, technical perspective, incredibly high does an orchestra have a personality and how would you describe that of the iso i think the iso is extremely raw in its current form and which is why we're so excited about june merkel um he is a seasoned veteran he's a household name and he's he's cultivated so many orchestras and we are kind of this diamond in the rough but like a giant diamond in the rough mm -hmm. that he's um, he's going to come in and he's going to chisel away at it and it's going to be this insane. Well, you say thing. household name, yeah. maybe to people in your business, but for, for sure. our general listener, what, yeah. what, what makes him so special? He's worked with every orchestra out there, whether it's Asia, Europe, um, the Americas, he's had jobs on, ver and on all the continents and you, Speak to, you, you speak to any classical musicians, and I guarantee you they'll know his name. And he's been, uh, hasn't he been a consultant for the ISO for, right. for how long? Uh, well, ever since Christoph left, 2020. Yeah, and what does that mean that he was a consultant or on advisor? He was an advisor. He's an advisor. advisor. He's an artistic advisor. So he was basically the stand-in music director while we didn't have one. Uh, and he was helping us do the auditions that we could uh, be auditioning at the time, and he was helping us uh, find a music director. What's it like for you musicians working with him? <laughs> I mean, I think he's one of us. You know, he's he's incredibly kind and but extremely demanding of the orchestra and of himself, and that's kind of who we are as an orchestra right now. How important is morale to an orchestra oh, or a, a, a leadership? A it is extremely high. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The ISO has gone through a couple a couple years of tough times with the pandemic and, and, you know, stuff like that. But 
given all of the variables and everything that happened, I, I'm still extremely proud and surprised by how well we are playing together. I think morale can definitely use a boost right now, but, uh, but we're definitely headed in the right direction. So what does that future hold under Markle's leadership? Do you think well, you we, guys will? You guys, do you, do you think you'll tour again? Do you so think you'll yeah, record again? So we're we're definitely going to record again. Record is definitely in the contract. We're going to do, I believe, once two recordings a year. And I I know America will will bring a a record deal with with him to us. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen, but he has he has a lot of connections to the. How to about the touring? Team. It used and to be under. Uh, uh, Maestro Leppard, that yes. uh, the orchestra toured all over the place, yes. all over the world, right? Yeah, definitely. Touring is an incredibly large financial. Uh, there, there's there's a large financial variable to it, and so if we can find the find the funding for a large international tour, we 100 percent do it. So we're going to put it out there. If anyone wants to sponsor a tour, please do so. Um, but we are definitely looking in in the short term. We're definitely looking at one offs to maybe Carnegie Hall or if we have a large, large constituent of donors down in Florida or, um, you know, we, there's a large connection to, to Taiwan as well. Uh, Maestro Merkel is the music director of the national symphony in, in, in Taiwan. Uh, I, myself, my family is, are, is from Taiwan. So we, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a large connection to it. I, I'm really interested in your, in hearing about your family and your background. Tell sure. me about it. Um, so both my parents are, are Taiwanese. They uh, they moved over here in their in their mid twenties. Uh, my dad was going to get his PhD in I believe molecular biology and genetics at the Columbia University. Um, and then while my dad was getting his PhD, they had me. So I grew up in this uh, Columbia dorm room in on uh, in Washington Heights. And uh, are you bilingual? I am. I okay. speak Mandarin and 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 English. Okay. So uh, yeah. So so I grew up in that in in that area, and then my later on, you know, with with my sister also in the house, we moved out to New Jersey just for a little bit more space, and that's where my parents still are. I went to public school, you know, elementary, middle school, high school there. So um, no, it's when did you discover the violin? Six years old, because my one of my one of my very good friends was also playing it at the time. And I'm naturally a pretty competitive kid, so if my friends do it, I need to do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of how violin started, and violin just became this tool for me to to travel places. It got me on planes because I get to go to competitions, and I get to skip out on school sometimes. And I thought that was always kind of cool. Um, what what appealed to you, the violin? What appealed to you? the instrument itself i see that 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 came a lot later i think i think that i i didn't really appreciate the violin until i was in my undergrad until i developed this enough technique to actually express what i want to want to say with the violin before that i was just like tr- trying to learn how to play the violin but somewhere sometime during during undergrad i realized i can manipulate time and and sound to basically play out how i how i hear specific pieces and once i had that power it's 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 amazing because then i start playing for myself and you then know, i really enjoy it, it it's kind of a stereotype that asians you know excel with strings more than anybody else is there truth to that i don't know i don't think so uh, to, if i think asians growing up in an asian household like obviously parents are strict I think it's the discipline aspect that makes Asians slightly more, I don't know, you know, gravitated towards music. You know, music the, the, and that kind the of stuff. Uh, a relationship with mathematics sure. and music. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and the stereotype is, is that Asians excel in sure. science sure. and yeah, math yeah. as well. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's again, it's, it goes to discipline. Like I, I have a lot of non Asian friends who also grew up in extremely disciplined households who are, just as successful. So I, I think the yeah. underlying variable is, is this. Well, there is truth sometimes to stereotypes, but, you know, sometimes they're pretty broad. Right, right. right. So, well, uh, t- uh, you, you mentioned your uh, your college education, but just give me a brief thumbnail of all the education you've had. Great. So uh, undergraduate, I did um, at the Colburn, in- Colburn Conservatory Music. And then in Los Angeles. And then after that, I did two years at the Curtis Institute of Music. And um, I was very lucky to get a job right out of that. So um, 
that's that's basically it. Now, do you uh, stay in touch with all the people that you've met in the music business? And there's a lot of people yeah. in the music business. I stay in touch when I am in in their current city. Um, I am not very good at keeping up with friends, but yeah. uh, you know, when I see somebody that I haven't seen in three years, we pick up where we left off. You know, I, I, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, anyone who knows me, I'm Latino. So, you know, covering the arts, I bring a special perspective because I, I care very much about representation. What are your thoughts about uh, representation? <laughs> very good question. And it's, it's something that we discuss on a regular basis. Um, and, and what I what I'd like to what I should preface when I when I when I when I mention that, you know, I'm fully aware, fully aware that it's not just here, but it's all over the world mm -hmm. that you know we don't see as many African Americans as. For sure. Uh, but of course, is that because of you know matriculation? It hasn't mm -hmm. happened. It's a generational thing, and so that's sure. all part of. So people need to understand that it's it's not a simple kind of... It is not a simple process. And mm -hmm. I, I think this goes back to access. But not... not it, Definitely at, at, at our level, at the symphony level, but this goes back to access from... To music education. Like, we can... We can I, I can remember back to when I first started the violin, there were almost no Latino, black, uh, uh, you know, underrepresented groups. Just because music education is so damn expensive. It's... You know, like my, my parents, you know, fortunately for me, were able to afford $100 an hour lessons. Not everybody can do that. This that's, that, that's crazy money for some people. And so in order for there to be more representation, I do think we need to increase the access on a much younger level. They need to be given opportunities to even have an opportunity in... Um, in music from 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 an early age because that's 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 the way we build it and the iso has taken up the With challenge MIO, and yes. let's talk about that yes i think it's it's amazing i try to volunteer with the myo anytime i can and 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 uh what's what's the organization metropolitan Me metropolitan youth, youth orchestra okay. so it's it's basically this i guess it's like an after school youth program that basically invites both the kids and their parents um, to come and learn an instrument. Crystal Ford is, is running this program. She's incredible. Um, and it basically, I, I think it's something like two or two or $250 for the year. You come, they feed you, they give you money, they, they give you, they give you food. And then you, you're immersed with a bunch of other people who are in a similar situation to you, um, and their parents who just kind of want to learn another instrument. And it also kind of builds the, the family group as well because you're learning something with your parent the parent is learning something with the kid um so we're trying to nurture music education on and they on get all, the, and they they get to associate with professional musicians yes definitely yeah you know when i've seen you all perform with that group i feel there's this warmth that yeah. exists yeah and that i see smiles on the faces of the adults right right that, that you guys up there you know, you embrace them and, you know, you nurture them. Yeah, yeah. You can just feel it. It's yeah, definitely. palpable. I think, I mean, and, and being a classical musician, you know, it's, it, of course, it can sometimes be very stuffy. We're in straight jackets and suits, you know, on, yeah. on stage. And it, it, it can seem unapproachable. But to be able to, you know, kind of break that down, work with the MYO kids and go back to our roots. You know, amazing. this is a perfect segue to my next question. So what do you say to those? This is kind of all. I'm going to put them all together. These, these quote criticisms if you will yeah those those who push back against classical music because it's not relatable or criticize it for being elitist or too european centric <laughs> i have i have i have i have a very good answer to this i think i i i think i i've just thought about this a couple of days ago i re, i, I re correlate classical music to fine dining food Musicians love food, so we can. You know, I have a, I have a number of, of food food analogies. So fine dining, obviously, the barrier to entry is quite high. You know, it's 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 usually a couple hundred bucks, and it's 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 you know small plates of food. It's not for the masses. But do we appreciate places like Vita and and all these nice you know restaurants? Of course we do, because it's something totally different. And it's obviously you can ask Vita to do burger night. And it's and that's going to of course increase the access, 
But I feel like at that point, they're kind of dumbing down their product mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to appeal to to the masses. And that's kind of taking away from what they actually do really well. And that's this is what I this is what I think about classical music. And so, yes, classical music isn't for everybody, and the barrier to entry is is usually quite high. But what I want to do with classical music is give everybody the experience of classical music, like give everybody the experience of fine dining Vita, but increase that access to everybody and not having to dumb down what we actually do. Well, uh, from from my viewpoint, I see that's something else that the ISO is attacking head on through its programming. Definitely. So let's talk about ISO's programming and is it effectively breaking down stereotypes about the music genre? I think so. I think the programming that we've done this year and next year is much more um conservative, maybe is 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 the is the right word for it. So it'll be a lot of classical music that people will have heard on popular social media or or TV these days. You know, we're not we're not exactly, I don't think Indianapolis is quite ready for the super, super avant-garde, you know, crazy contemporary music, even though there's, you know, I'm sure there's a niche, a niche scene for that. Um, but, you know, we have to build up our core audience first with sure. classical music that people can relate to and enjoy. And then we can slowly introduce other things. Well, you have with Steve Hackman. We have. I've definitely. been in touch with Steve. I'm a big fan and I reviewed. Talk about Steve Hackman. Oh, he's incredible. Work. Like the the way he's able to weave, you know, uh, classical music with pop culture these days. The name those it, concerts it, it, that you played with. It's. It, played I remember on. there was like Biggie and Tupac and yeah. and I and Kendrick he's, Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, and he's doing it with you know Mahler and, and Beethoven, and he's doing. We were doing one more show of him this year. I, I don't think. It's it's a Beatles one. It's, it's in it's, April, it's, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah. But no matter what he does, he always does it so seamlessly. It's and I, I often get lost. It's like, wait, is that a classical music tune or is that like a is that a pop tune? Like he does it in a way where it's. You know, it's, he's it's coming amazing. on the show in a few weeks oh, when he's he comes be great. to town. I can't wait to talk to him. You yeah. Know, I, I've I've been to those concerts where he has brought in people mm-hmm. who've never been in the Hellbird or yep. never experienced classical. It's really music. cool. Very, very I, cool. I'm really interested in, in when I interviewed him. I I interviewed him for my column on my website and asked him if he if if anybody's tracked whether those people have come back to go to classical concerts. I'm sure there's said, data there yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I'd be really interested yeah. in how how. And then of course talk about the pops. The pops I mean, has been has introduced people been, too. It's always been. I mean Jack Everly. I, I would say the Pops would not be the same without Jack. Jack is the Pops series. And um, and every show that I've done with him, it's it's not like conventional Pops. I've done Pops concerts with other orchestras. And a lot of times you just, you know, you play popular show tunes and stuff and people go crazy over the show tunes. But now, not not here. It's it's like, it's as if Jack does like a Yuletide, you know, he puts the same amount of dedication to each and every show. I say this every year, and it's true that if you're looking for a Broadway quality show, yeah. it's Yuletide. This is the guy to do it. The production yeah. values yeah. are out of this world. And, and he brings everybody from Well, you from know, everywhere. he spent a lot of time on Broadway. Yeah, that's you right. You know, Hello right. Dolly yep. conducted and yep. all that. Yep. What's he like working with? Oh, he's the most unassuming man you'll ever meet in your life. I I had no idea. Like, I he's super nice. He took me out for a drink when I first uh, was auditioning for the job, and we were just sitting at the Capitol Grill, and mm-hmm. like, had no idea he conducted the soundtrack to Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's done all these things, and I'm just sitting here with like, essentially pop music royalty. Um, well, not yet, only that, he was a conductor for the American Ballet Theater right, for 15 right. years. Yeah. I don't think people realize. And he's so unassuming, <laughs> and it's he's so humble. It's it, it's amazing. Well, Kevin, we we saw each other recently <coughs> at a quote reveal celebration. Let's talk yeah. about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, please. The partnership between uh, the ISO and uh, Indianapolis Ballet. Yes. And you were there present with Yoshiko, the principal dancer with the ballet. That's right. Jack Everly and Victoria Leros. 
What does that mean to you to perform? You'll, you of course, the, the, the two organizations are coming together to do this Romeo and Juliet. It's very historic. And yeah, what, I, it's in May, right? It's, it's in May, yeah. Um, I, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, Vicky Lyris, actually, uh, I, was, I got to sit next to her, next to, uh, no, actually, I sat next to Jackie Needis. Yes. I sat next to Jackie Needis at an MYO fundraiser once. And Jackie and, Needis, for people listening, she is on the board of both organizations. Yeah, she's kind of like the bridge between Former our organizations. Former city county councilman. And, yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, so Very, I sat next to her and she's like, oh, Kevin, you're the perfect person. I need you to meet uh, uh, Vicky. You, you guys you guys have totally hit it off. You guys have a lot to talk about. I was like, okay, cool. Met up with Vicky. And I've never met a more passionate person about their art form ever. She's sitting there and she's like going into depth about all this, this, the school she started in the Indianapolis Ballet and, and all the people that she's brought in and the company and the people who are helping her create this, um, this, this program. And she's like, oh, all we need to do is, you know, play it to live music. And I've, I've been to one of their concerts and they're incredible dancers, but they're always playing to recordings. And I was like, that's, that, that's kind of weird. That's like, we're, we're, we're right down the street. We should do something with them. And so Vicky's asked me a couple of times to, can you just like come and and play with them? And I, I've done it. I've done a couple of concerts with them where I, you know, I was just a solo violin uh, and played with the Yoshiko. Um, and it's 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 incredible what they can do. Um, and so to finally now be able to bring our two organizations together, professionally and formally, and in conjunction with Clues Hall, um, this is kind of like. Uh, you know, three years of, of work finally coming to culmination. And it's not only the music, the whole production is going to be, well, they kept using the term over the top. The, they're talking about the set design yeah. by a designer, by, uh, help me remember his name. He, turns out he was uh, head of scenic design for the IU Opera and Ballet, right, which has right. been compared to the Met. And yeah. I reviewed the, uh, both, uh, both schools many times and i'm it's amazing what they're yeah. doing down supposedly there. he's coming out of retirement just to do this yeah, what so. is his name uh, anyway uh so they they were sketches yeah of, of the set it looked really nice and we saw like a one of the things that the did you have you yourself were. uh uh performed uh in orchestras uh ballets and opera i have so when i was um before <laughs> when i was in london our Christmas shows were the Nutcracker with the uh, Birmingham Ballet at, at the Royal Albert Hall. So I've done, oh my God. This oh, is, so you know like that music thing. by heart. I can, yeah, I can play with the book closed for sure. <laughs> well, you know, uh, sometimes I try to reframe myself. This isn't about me, but I do have a lot of experience with Nutcracker myself. I ran a ballet company and I spent a whole month oh, in cool. the wings. Yeah. These were Russian dancers. They were all from big stars. Yeah. And they came here for a company called Ballet International that okay. no longer exists. Right. And, you know, they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had live music, the chamber orchestra. But, yeah, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. And, and it's a whole different uh, – and didn't you say or someone maybe jack that you know gives the you musicians an opportunity or musicians who haven't had the experience yeah. to play with dancers yeah. it's a whole different it's, it's very very kind different because now we got to explain that what makes it different um ballets ballet dancers their art form they have to deal with gravity and how they jump and timing of all this kind of stuff for us you know if we want to play faster we just play faster you can't make a ballet dancer jump faster um and so for us to be able to understand that and to be able to give more um clarity to the music that we're playing for example Romeo and Juliet or, or Swan Lake, we have to play it in a way that makes sense from a ballet point of view. We can't just play it the way we want mm -hmm. from, you know, from a flashy violinist, violinistic point of view. Um, so be, to be able to work with dancers, we'll actually be able to learn what the music, how the music is actually supposed to be played. Okay. I would love to hear you play something else. Please do so. This is the Ninth Caprice by Paganini.
So tell me about Kevin Lynn, the person. Oof. Are you are you, you married? Know. Do you have children? I am not married. I am engaged. I do not have children. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank I you. saw you with, with a guest. And yeah, so, that was my uh, fiance. We didn't get to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Philomena Duffy. I was very Tell lucky. me about her. So we met during the pandemic. Uh, we were in the same pandemic bubble. We, you know, everyone, people remember <laughs> that. have that for a while. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, so we were, we were part of the pandemic bubble and uh, it was really fun. She was helping me with my Hinge dating profile and somehow we never crossed paths on on the online dating scene but uh yeah but we we got to know each other pretty well you know through through covid and wow you found love in indianapolis of I know, all places i know i know i know <laughs> so um no so, she's, she's she's quite special so how do you like uh residing in indy i love it i i i really do this is the smallest city i've ever lived in i've lived in what do you love like about it i love that i can run into the same people time and time again you know like if i'm out on a run on 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 the cultural trail or or on the canal i'll run into the usual group of people i've been wondering if you're an athlete because you're tall you're like well built i figure he's an athlete i wonder what he does see this is also like a pandemic thing like i feel like my life totally you know changed for the better during the pandemic um so you know, it, it gave us a lot of time to not be at work and to kind of take take so a break. So do you and Austin bit. run together? He's we a do. Runner. Yeah. How cool there's, is that? Well, it's it's not just us. There's 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 a number of us that run marathons in in the orchestra. And thank God, in in these like relatively flat, so I feel like that's much easier for us than than other cities. But given that this is a young, competitive orchestra, we're all pretty competitive with each other, not only musically, but also Well, let's talk about wise. running and its relationship to art. Sure. Like, I think there, I used to run, and yeah. I tell people I love that so-called zone. It's mm-hmm. where I did my most creative work. Yeah. Problem yeah. solving, yeah. meditation. Yeah. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, and it also, it, and you can eat anything you want. That's that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, you can eat. You can eat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For me, it's always like the first three miles totally suck because you're just like getting through the pain. But then after mile three or four for me, you're, it's, you're, you're in that zone and I, the time just flies by. And I think about so many different things. I think about the program doesn't, that I'm playing or. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't help you with your, with your art form. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think mental practice is an extremely important part of what we do. And so to be able to work on that stuff away from the violin. Where do you run? Uh, up and down the Monon, uh, okay. around the around the canal. Um, How about White River State Park? Yes, yes. Yeah. If you want to do a ten k loop, you do the canal plus the White White. Yeah, yeah. So, what part of town do you live in? Uh, I bought a house in Windsor Park. Oh, really? Yeah. So. So Frequent, near Can Can, uh, yeah, near Can Can and Amelia's and uh, Amelia's coffee shop. It's amazing. It's like a really cool little community. I love it. Have I, you I love met it Tom there. Batista, who made no. all that happen? No. I, yeah, I he's would love uh, to, he's like you know he he's responsible for a lot of what's happened on the East End. That is really cool. Yeah, I mean they're yeah, really yeah. developing it. I mean week over week, it's totally yeah. changing. So, uh, what do you think in general of our art scene? I think. You get a chance to experience it. Well, yes. Um, I wish I could experience it more from a casual perspective. It's. I. I. I think I am pretty lucky if I walk in somewhere. They usually know I'm associated with the symphony, and then they want to talk to me about the symphony. But I sometimes I want to walk in and kind of be a fly on the wall and just kind of kind of watch. Um, and I get to do that. I mean, at, at Newfields, you know, like I, I've, I've walked into Newfields and kind of just done my own thing. I was going to ask you, do, do you? Are you a fan of visual art? I am. I am. Uh, visual art. Um, I, I grew up at, I, I did my undergrad in LA. So pop art and modern art. The Getty. Art. Yes. The Getty, the Mocha, all this kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I have an appreciation for that. So um, do you collect art yourself? A little bit, a yeah. little bit. I would like to, to do more of it. You know, obviously it's a very uh, expensive hobby. Um, but, uh, I, that's definitely something I'm, I'm getting more into. Yeah. So, uh, what are some of the arts organizations that I mean, like, are you a theater fan? Uh, I, I want to be, I have not, to be totally honest, I have not been to that many. Um, okay. I, I would, I, I would love to get more into it. Do you like musicals? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, obviously with Jack, I mean, when you're introduced that way, you have to be. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, you, I mean, your knowledge of the, of the musical repertoire must be huge. I mean, you know, under Jack. Under Jack, for sure. I, to be totally honest, I, like, I'm, this is another thing about Kevin Lynn, the person. I suck at names. I, I will remember a person's <laughs> face. I will remember tunes. But I am so terrible with names. And that's the same way with classical music or, or, or shows or whatever. names of, of musicals? Yeah, it's, exactly. So I, I, oh. if you hum me a tune, I can, I can sing you the entire melody. But I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you where it's from. Okay. But I, I, I do have an appreciation for all these uh you know, they're just like melodies and tunes running through my head all the time. Yeah. Do you like cabaret? Have you been I to any have, cabaret? You know, we have two major ones. We now. do. Yeah. We do. I have been to one, but with the Indianapolis Ballet. Actually, one of their galas was at. Oh, yeah. Um, was at, sorry, the cabaret. The cabaret. The, yeah. the venue. It's awesome space. And have you, have you been to any performances of the Palladium or Feinstein's, which is right next door? I've not been to Feinstein's, but Palladium, I've been. We've uh, done a lot of. Um, recordings and and yeah there. Were, were you uh was that before your time when they were doing uh a concert uh pops concerts out there at the palladium that, this was before my time okay. but i believe we are going to start doing more things i hope so we're, we're, we're branching out you know the the pandemic kind of shrunk what we did a little bit just just from a safety perspective but i think we're definitely collaborating more with clues now and, and the palladium um so there, there will be more to come um uh, if if you were to tour, where are some places that you would love to go with the symphony? I would love to take the symphony. Well, to London, of course. I mean, I feel like that would that that would be full circle for me to be able to go there with this, these guys. Also to Taiwan, an Asia tour or a European tour would be huge. Mm-hmm. That would, I mean, that that would firmly put us back on the map as as one of the best orchestras. Generally. Kevin, what inspires you? Other people. Other people. I like to see other people who are also motivated or other people who are enjoying their lives. That's that's kind of what gets me up in the morning. Um, you know, just, just, just seeing other people be happy. Who are your music influences? I was very music- influenced by um, Pinka Zuckerman. Um, Aaron Rosand, these are all people that I've studied with. Um, and then a lot of my colleagues these days, you know, they, they keep pushing me. Uh, what are some of your favorite pieces? Mahler's Second Symphony. Uh, Strauss's Also Sprock that we did about two weeks ago. And any of the uh, Tchaikovsky and Brahms symphonies. What... Uh... What's a day like for a professional musician like yourself? Describe that. Uh, okay. So we usually work on average Tuesday through Saturday. That's our work week. And Monday, uh, Sunday and Monday are usually our weekends. But on Tuesdays, it'll be a 10 to... 10, we, we basically work from 10 to 3.30. And that's our rehearsals. And then we come back, we go home and we practice or we go teach and then that's repeated Wednesday and Thursday, and then we have concerts on Friday and Saturday. And and uh, we we've already talked about the fact that you you run, and that apparently you like restaurants as well. So you <laughs> yeah. like fine dining, uh, yeah, and, and you like to visit the art museum. So it sounds like you have a pretty balanced life. You try I, to live your life that way. I, I, I try to. I try to. I yeah. I mean, I have a lot of friends who also enjoy the same thing. And so Do you able watch to... junk TV? Oh, all the time, all the time. <laughs> what, are you, what, what do you watch? What are you streaming? My fiance's got the you know weekly Bachelor watch. What are you nights watching? And, what are your streaming shows? You uh, I am currently watching uh, Great. Grey's Anatomy. I didn't realize there were so many episodes of it, so I, I'm on Grey's Anatomy. Um, I've always done uh, Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, a big fan of Modern Family. Do you think a show? I don't know. It just occurred to me out of the blue. Do you think a show about a symphony orchestra? Well, there was one. Mozart in the Jungle. Did you know about no. this? No. So on Amazon, I, I don't know. I don't think it's still running, but they did like this highly dramatized like thing about classical music. Mozart in the Jungle. You got to check it out. Um, 
and it's 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 just about the orchestra drama. Obviously, some of it is true, but it's it's definitely taken to a level where wow, it's it's good for TV. Wouldn't it be cool if there were like a reality show? I think so. I think so. I mean, <laughs> too many secrets would be spilled. Producers <laughs> out there, we yeah, have an idea for think you. Think about it, or at least like yeah. I mean, yeah, there are more more things coming out these days. You know, there's Maestro, there's Tar. Um, Marin also has a documentary mm-hmm. about herself. So I I do think there's. There's more and more spotlight on classical music. I wish there was more. Um, but. You know, when, uh, in, in my experience covering the arts, that's the, I asked that question because I think the public, if they knew that, you know, musicians, it's, 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 it is a discipline and it is yeah. a job. Yeah. And the, the dedication that goes into it and the sacrifice that's oh made God. by musicians, it's, it's, it's astounding, really. It's, it's crazy. And, yeah. and for it to all come together in a performance, you know, just the whole lifestyle of a musician. Yeah. If people knew more about it, you know, and it's, it's still a process of education. For but sure. having said that, um, uh, you, you, what, what do you, uh, uh, what do you hope uh, will be the future for um, this country in terms of of of, uh, of classical music, <laughs> broadly speaking? I hope that anyone that wants to enjoy classical music will be able to comfortably come into a concert hall and enjoy it. I know there's a lot of uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 daunting to walk into a classical music, you know, performance. You sometimes don't know where to clap. You don't know how to dress. You know, there's 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 yeah, a lot let's of. Let's talk about that because yeah. I, again, in my experience, there's a lot of insecurity that comes along if you've not experienced. People have these notions sure. that, and the, the whole elitist thing. Yeah, you know, they have this representation that they've seen yeah. previously. And yeah, there is a lot of insecurity attached. There definitely to it. is. And, you know, I, I didn't discover classical music until you know I came from a blue collar background. Yeah. I just wasn't exposed to it. We're going to get into that, yeah. but I finally got the. I, I I understood the relationship through television. Yeah, yeah. You know when I realized that classical music was the basis for a lot of television. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and movies definitely. I think. I, I I wish I wish we could just like tell you to not worry about it because like for for us if you clap during in between movements we we, we love it because obviously like that just shows that you appreciate what we've done we're not like oh like I can't believe they clapped like there's the, no like that you don't give a stink eye to no, somebody in the all. third row that's no, clapped not at all between at movements all. and you know if I wish I wish you could see what we see from the states. You from, from yeah, my what seat. What is that like? From my seat, you look out. You know, there's people of every race, color, gender, orientation, shape, size. You know, like anybody should be able to come come in. And and the more diversity that we see, the happier we are, because that just means, you know, it's you know, classical music really is for everybody. And that's 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 how I live my life thinking about yeah. it. Um, and so. You know, there is there's no right way to dress for the symphony. There is no one way to appreciate classical music. Everyone should come in and, and take it as well. As I have want. to tell you, I was a little taken back, but now I've gotten used to it, and I've had to tell myself, Tom, don't be so stuffy myself, because I've now seen people on flip flops. <laughs> well, I mean, Indiana's just cold. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's 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 going to be comfortable for you. Well, but if you want to, you know, to each their own. But I think that's a good sign. Yeah. People are feeling comfortable, and it took a while. But that's kind of the California style. It, yeah. t- it takes, like they say in the Midwest, it takes us like five years to get sure. stuff. And, sure. But now it looks like people are. You see all kinds of people, and all, it's so diverse. It's, it's much, so diverse. Audiences are much yeah. more diverse. But also, I think it's. It's cool. What the the one thing we in in Indianapolis we don't have that many super fancy events that we can attend, you know. Like, and I think the symphony is definitely one of them. So I feel like the symphony definitely gives those who want to dress up and, want feel, to. and feel fancy. That's the perfect. Place I've to do it. seen it's a gowns. Date night. Yeah. I've seen people look awesome. Is politically politically incorrect that they are these yeah. days, <laughs> but it happens. It's yeah. It's I've, here. I, you know, I've I've seen it all. I've so it's all. definitely a place. And to, then we haven't yeah. even talked about uh, about Counter Prairie. Yeah, and when we're talking about uh, 
democratizing mm -hmm. classical music yeah. by introducing people to yeah. a symphony orchestra. How do you like performing out there? It is hot. <laughs> it is so hot out there. The, how about the mosquitoes and bugs? You know, it's you uh, the, that's that's we don't get it as bad on stage because there's a, there's a fan blowing from behind us, so I think that's like blowing most of the, yeah, the bugs right. away. But it, it's it's I, I think it's a totally different demographic. There there was data showing who shows up at Conner Prairie and does that translate to um, audience members downtown? And I think the percentage is actually quite low. So we're definitely playing to a different audience when we're out in Conner Prairie. And I, I love that we're able to, to give them that experience. Uh, do you, do you recommend that children learn an instrument yes. and why? Yes. Um, this goes back to the discipline thing, you know, like you have to learn how to take care of an instrument. You can't just, you know, it's 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 like having a pet without having to worry about the the livelihood and, and the safety of the pet. But you also have to take care of this extremely expensive instrument. That's one to be able to have the patience and discipline to learn a specific skill and something that's so minute. That's also incredibly useful to everyday life. Um, and also music is something that should be played with other people. You know, it's 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 a friend activity. It's a group activity. It's a socializing activity. So when you put all these things together, I, I kind of see it as like a building block for childhood development. What advice would you give to parents and teachers regarding uh, encouraging young people to take up an instrument? I, I was told this from a very young age. I mean, obviously, if from a teacher's perspective, if if the if the kid can afford violin violin lessons let's just use violin as an example if the kid can afford violin lessons sure you charge them what what the what they can what they can afford and you teach them if a kid comes to you and they can't afford it it is your job to teach them for whatever they can afford even if it's free i i don't think any kid should be stifled from a musical education just because of the money aspect um and so if you are able to, you know, donate your time to basically nurture this child and give them a better education for the future, that is your job as a musician to do so. Um, and as a parent, I would hope that they are open enough to allow musical education into their lives. You know, it's, it's incredibly enriching and I think it'll develop so many different skill sets for their future and for yourself. Um, and it's, it's. Uh, what about the fun aspect? Is it fun? Yeah. You, you Why? To, it's a night out with the symphony. You get to hang out with your friends. No, I mean being a musician. Oh, okay. From a musician's perspective. I'm, okay. Um, yeah. I actually don't feel like I'm working, which is, which, is, which is amazing. I feel like I'm going to the hall. I walk in backstage and I'm just hanging out with my friends. And we go on stage and we do this thing together that's amazing with my friends. Okay. So I, not, asked, job. I, I asked Austin this question. And, uh, okay, so why do you guys look so bored? That's just our focused <laughs> face. When we're focused and we want to do something really well, you know, it's... This, like, deadpan expression. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I it, it, to, to each their own, you know, like, if, if someone's been sitting there for 35 to 40 years, I get it. Like, I, you know, I can't, I can't, <laughs> you know, you've, you've done this three times, four times longer than I have. I mean this with respect. No, I'm and I being, do too. And I'm I being lighthearted. I mean, yeah. yeah, but I, what, what, you know, he says you actually get that question a lot. We do. Sometimes. We do, people. we do, we do. And, and a lot so of times. It's so much fun. Why are you guys like. It's a focus. Like, oh, it's just, the thing is like, we're trying to line it up. Kill me now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so accurately or like honestly like we'll get upset if one tiny thing goes off like we're such type a people as musicians that if something is minutely wrong then like it bothers us do you beat yourself up after oh, yeah. performing? In, in, internally yes i obviously I, I don't let anyone else see it but i am i am very hard on myself yeah. isn't that though the whole point of 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 art you want it to look seamless yes. and effortless Definitely. right it's like the duck analogy. Well, you know? you know, I always tell people as a reviewer, anything that distracts me is sign to me that something is not right. Yep. Yep. If I if 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 I lose sight of, of being in the moment, something's wrong. Yep. Yep. If you notice. And, and and to me it's not perfection, but there's never ever complete perfection. But yeah. you can you can point towards it. You can sure, try to sure. achieve it because isn't right. that why you do it? Yeah, I mean, and if the, you're serious, right? Yeah, and this is why the, I've been I've been a professional musician for the last 
10, 9, 10 years and I'm still, I feel like I've just started. So, uh, what do you want to leave a legacy first of all? I mean, that's a, that's kind of a cliche question in interviews, but yeah, I want I want to know like what, as Kevin the what human do you being be, or yeah, violinist. What do you want to What do you want to be remembered for in your from your career? I think, especially with 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 the ISO, I feel like I joined at a time where it was very tumultuous. To be totally honest. Um, you know, with the pandemic and everything, and we were worried about finance. We still are worried about finances. And so it would be an incredible legacy to bring this orchestra back onto the international stage, touring and recording and working with the best possible artists out there. Like, I think from a musician perspective, from a technical capability perspective, we can 100% do that. But we need to also get the community support and the international support for us to be able to operate on that level again. And so if I am able to be the concert master that does this for the ISO, um, that would be a pretty cool legacy to leave behind. You know, this has been such a great opportunity spending time with you, Kevin. I, I really Likewise. am, you know, here's the thing. I don't believe in professional distance as a journalist, as a, an arts uh, writer, you know, because fortunately I do try to uh to to uh to try to help my uh readers and tv viewers and everyone else you know what makes you guys tick what makes artists tick you know i think it would give them a deeper appreciation for taking art seriously and that it is a big contribution yeah. to our economy to our culture to everything <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing uh your insight about uh, all the things we've talked about uh, I'd like you to uh, play a piece from uh, Celebration of Marianne's Life, uh, Marianne Williamson, Tobias, uh, and it took place uh, October the 24th at Hilbert, and uh, the symphony, Jack Everly was the conductor, and pieces that she picked herself yeah. were played, including a piece that... Uh, that you're going to uh, play us off with. Tell me about the piece. It's the uh, the meditation by from Thais um, by Massenet. I mean, it's 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 one of the most beautiful pieces out there. It's and sad. It's, but it's yeah. sometimes it's hopeful. Yes, and, yeah, and it's, it's both. And this is what I love about music too. You know, it's 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 what you take away from it, and everyone will take something different away from it. And clearly this is one of Marianne's favorite pieces. And when you play it at a celebration like this, you can't help but remember all the good memories that you had with, with Marianne. So uh, uh, let's hear this piece. Thank you so much for that. I know that uh, many people in the audience, myself included, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really moving yeah. and extraordinary. Uh, and I, I, you know, I I miss her because I would I would love to ask her why did you 
choose these particular pieces. It's a very eclectic mix of, of, of repertoire. What was it like for you playing up there and, you know, playing for someone like her that you admired and knew? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, as it's a musician's job to not get overly sentimental when you're playing so you can play it properly. But it's that this, this, this one was, 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 was one that definitely, you, you kind of forget what you're doing and you just, you, you play it based on how you're feeling. And, and, you know, sometimes that's, well, that's the you know, one concert. of her colleagues, you knew her, she had been a violinist. Yes. And she talked about Mary and she was able to be emotional to yeah. talk about their personal connection. Yeah. So that just gave it a, a whole new aspect. So thank you again for being with me. And I look forward to seeing you on that uh, stage at the Hilbert. Thank you. And thank you very coming, much. Coming years, hopefully, there'll be many. Who will take center stage on the podcast next? Your seat on the aisle with Tom Alvarez awaits. Follow Tom on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And make sure to visit TomAlvarez.studio. Watch Tom every other Thursday on Lifestyle Live on Wish TV. And make sure to listen every week here on the All Indiana Podcast Network.